Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for animator views and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 145, and we're reviewing Vinland Saga Season 2, Part 2. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. I'm going to come out and say it. First thing I'm going to say on this episode, Vinland Saga Season 2 might be one of the best things I'll see this year. Agreed. Even though it's only halfway through the year but yeah i'll, I'll say it's hard it, it'll be hard for anything to top what we've seen in this season um though you know there's demon slayer out there uh so who knows how that'll play out but yeah i was really satisfied with how this season played out I'm itching to talk about it. So let's dive right into it. Um, I know that the last episode that we did for Vinland Saga Season 2, which is the Part 1 review, we cut things a little short. We did Episodes 1 through 11, which wasn't exactly the halfway point because I think Season 2 has 24 episodes. But we stopped it uh, an episode early because we were uh, getting close to the baby's due date. So this episode's going to be Episodes 12 through 24 um, for Vinland Saga season two. As far as my overall thoughts go, it's pretty similar to how I felt when we talked about the first half that I wasn't expecting this to be this good. Um, I wasn't expecting to be as obsessed with Farmland Saga as I ended up being. And I have to say the second half of the season did not disappoint. I was a little worried just because sometimes you get so... Uh, you're so impressed with the way a season is going, but then the second half just isn't as strong. I always think about Jujutsu Kaisen season one. I love the first half, really enjoy the second half, but it just didn't hit as hard as the first half of the season did. But I feel like Vinland Saga season two was consistent straight throughout, and I'm thoroughly impressed. I'll admit, I feel like I enjoyed the first core of season two to a little bit more than the second core uh but it, it is farmageddon so <laughs> there's a lot that's happening in this part uh but even in the first half there's not that a lot of drama yet related to canute and it still makes this second core pretty spicy as you learn more about arnheids and Sverkel's backstories intertwined with the cruel and violent world that they live in the world of vikings and then when it does switch to the Battle of Kettle Farms, it culminates in an unexpected way with Torfin finally confronting Canute, but it's one where he's still able to remain true to his pacifist ideal. So even though I, I loved the character moments, especially those of Torfin's in the first core, I think the second core here really drives it home for how he's changed into this nonviolent person and really puts his ideals into action, especially in those final maybe two or three episodes where he pleads with Canute to, to stop all of the bloodshed and hatred. Season two really did stick to the non, like the anti violence themes that they established in the first half because where we left off on episode 11. I was figuring, okay, Knut's planning to, you know, take over the farm. It's going to be a big battle. We're going to get, um, we're going to get what we got from season one with a lot of the gore and the violence um, and the intensity. And we got a little bit of that, 
but it was very short-lived because again it, it all kind of circled back to Thorfinn's desire to stop the violence to find any other means besides violence so I was kind of uh, I don't know if I was super surprised by that because it, it fits the the vibe of season two, but I was still a little surprised because Vinland Saga is known for its epic battle scenes. I think season two just wanted to flip the script. I think that was pretty much established with the introduction of it as Farmland Saga, as the manga reader's soul like to call this part. Uh, I mean, yeah, there were bits and pieces of that violence that everyone was sort of accustomed to in season one, especially in the preliminary stages of this battle at Kettle Farm. Uh, but I think it was enough to satisfy, like satisfy my sort of cravings for that action and animation that is almost standard with like any MAPA production. But I think for this core, or maybe this whole season, to just focus on it so intensely like it did in the first season would downplay Thorfinn's journey towards redemption and towards pacifism a little bit. So I think they, they sprinkled in the right amount of action and the right amount of, I guess, violence to kind of drive that point for Thorfinn. I completely agree. Like the, the violence that we did get was brutal as it was in season one. There was a lot of gore, a lot of like heads rolling and blood everywhere. So it, it definitely satisfied in, in that sort of aspect in the, the action, you know, sort of aspect, but didn't deviate from the direction that the story was going. And we talked a little bit about it in the part one review that like this is a divisive season. We're doing like a 180 from season one because um, it was all action in season one. And then it's all character development and character writing in season two. And it's a huge risk for them to take a story like the one we got in season one of Inland Saga and continue it in this direction in season two where you're flipping the script. But it worked. It worked and it worked so well. Just a side note, because I know we were talking about this in the previous episode about the first core of Vinland Saga season two. I, I think with this season and just how much buzz and hype is being generated about it, I, I feel like Vinland Saga is finally getting the recognition that it is it deserves, especially within the realm of uh, merchandise. Uh, I think I mentioned either in you know, the last episode or in the pre-show for Vinland Saga Season 2 Part 1 that there was supposed to be a figure of Torfin to be released by Figma, uh, which they announced on their Twitter account back in 2019 uh, when the first season was airing, but that never came to fruition until just recently where Good Smiles, I think Instagram account, had come out with images of the Torfin Figma figure that is supposed to come out, I think, later this year. Uh, so it only took about, what, five or six years until they released this figure. But I think it's coming out at the right time. It's the Torfin from season one. So it's in that sort of black, or not black, uh, brown getup that he's in with the long hair, which is interesting because his clothing is actually made out of fabric instead of uh, plastic. Uh, but yeah, it's just, 
I don't know. That's just one sign showing that people are starting to appreciate Vinland Saga a bit more now than when it first premiered as an as anime form. Yeah, it's interesting that it took them this long. Uh, maybe they didn't think that Vinland Saga was going to be as well-received as it is. There are other anime where like, there's a figure that launches before the anime even premieres, um, or the anime premieres, and then there's like, a thousand different variations of a character in terms of like the figures that they come out with. So yeah, it's, a, it's interesting the way the Vinland Saga merch was approached, but at least we have some now, or at least one. <laughs> yeah, and... We'll share a link to the the images for this Torfin Figma figure in our Discord. So if you are not already a member of our Discord, the link to that is in the description. Uh, another thing is that even at Anime Central, I think we mentioned this before, they had uh, Vinland Saga collaboration merchandise in the form of a uh, of a hoodie that had Torfin's face on it, along with the Chicago skyline in the background. So just another. Another instance where, again, I think Vinland Saga is finally getting the recognition that it deserves. Before we move on to our main discussion, of course, we need to talk about the OP and ED for this second core. Uh, So I know episode 12 still has the first core's OP and ED, but starting on episode 13, we have the OP Paradox by Survive Said the Prophet, which is the band behind the first Vinland Saga OP, Mukanjo. Uh, This one, I would say it's a little bit more intense than River, the OP from the first core, but at the same time, it's a lot more subdued than Mukanjo from season one, Uh, especially because there's no, at least the, the snippet that this OP takes from the song, there's no like screamo part of it. It's all just sung vocals. I think it fits, though. Um, I personally feel like this song was pretty good, um, but it's it's not going to be better than, than River from uh, the first OP from season two. I, I love that OP. I love that song. Um, but this one is still really good. It, it kind of hints at the violence that's being reintroduced to Thorfinn's storyline as things kind of were ramping up with Knut's arrival. So the intensity... While it's not as super crazy, like you said, as the very first OP from season one, it still has, it kind of like pushes you toward that intensity, reminding you that this is still a very violent world that Thorfinn exists in. All right. And with the title of the song being Paradox, I think you get a lot of that visually where there are some scenes in this OP that show flowers and butterflies, and then all of a sudden it shows all these images of war and blood and carnage. And I guess in another way, it shows the sort of paradox between Canute and Torfinn's ideals, how those have kind of switched between the characters. Uh, and then with the final shot of the OP, has it's I think that's also a paradox in itself, showing this skull with butterflies kind of emerging from it, kind of representing hope in the midst of all of this destruction, which I think saying that itself almost sounds like a paradox. To quote The Office, hope grows in a dump. Which <laughs> is, yeah, yeah, I guess dump would be a great world or great word to describe this world of Vikings. And then with the lyrics for this song, again, going back to the theme of paradox, 
uh, I, I think it's kind of describing Torfinn's struggle to move forward with his pacifism, despite the nature of the violent world in which he lives and its effect on him, which is kind of embodied in lyrics like, the feeling of hatred burns my soul. I'm done with the feelings that I've known in paradox. Then we have the ED with the song Ember by Haju Harmonics. Uh, this one I didn't find as impactful as the first ED, which was Without Love by LMYK, if I remember correctly. Um, maybe it's because I can't fully connect with a song where the artist is not a native English speaker. In this case, it's a Japanese artist, and not to fault them for the way that they've sung the song. I, I still think it's a good song, but I think for me personally, if the song were sung in Japanese with the same themes, I would just connect with it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, this ED, for me, it, again, it wasn't as impactful as the first one. Um, even visuals-wise, you have cloudy and bleak landscapes. Torfin and Einar kind of plying farm fields and then Canute and Leaf crossing the sea. So just kind of touching the bases on things that we see in this arc. Uh, but that's pretty much it for me. I agree. Um, the lyrics are beautiful, uh, especially like the very first couple of lines that she sings when the ED starts. Uh, but it's just not as powerful and gripping as the song Without Love from the first ED of season two. Like that is just a stunning song that perfectly encapsulates the feelings that Thorfinn is going through. Um, kind of like the the depression and, and uh, the consequences, but then like that hopeful undertone. Um, this song, the second ED, I feel like is made for Arnaid and, and her, yes. her situation. Like, it's almost as if Arnaid is singing it. Like, I just, I, I cannot stop thinking about her and her story when this ED is playing. Visuals-wise, I agree. Like, it's it's just, you know, it's it, they're good visuals, but they're still not as good as the, the first ED from the season. But, yeah, I, I think that this was made for Arnaid and her story. And, and that is a huge part of what happens in the second half, so it fits really well. Right. You have lyrics such as somewhere in the distance, I hear joy in a song I'll never know. This curse, I can't take it. I pray for the dying Everglow. So it's kind of echoing what Arnheid had said in her final moments of not wanting to be part of this world and having to suffer through it. Uh, though Torfin and Einar kind of try to reassure her that there are brighter things on the horizon that that they want to forge and that they want her to look forward to. But obviously that doesn't come to fruition for Arnheid because she obviously passes away. Uh, but I think this song is fitting in that, again, Arnheid is the inspiration for these two characters to create the vision of Vinland that they want to carry out for others who might be in Arnheid's situation. And and that way, I think this song perfectly encapsulates that. By the way, I can't remember in our part one review if I pronounced her name as Arnheid or Arnheid. So if I flip-flop between the two, I apologize. Yeah, I know the Japanese pronunciation is like Arnezu. So I, I feel like it might be closer to Arnheid. But, you know, it's... It's all good. <laughs> we're trying our best here. Yeah, we're not Norse, so we're not familiar with how to pronounce it correctly. 
All right, Strictly fam, make sure you aren't hide your kids and aren't hide your wife as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for Vinland Saga Season 2 Part 2, the 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by Makoto Yukimura. Produced by MAPPA and directed by Shuhei Tabuta, the second core follows Torfin and Einar as they grapple with the effects of Canute's Viking forces closing in on Kettle's fertile but fraughtful farm. In episode 12 for Lost Love, during their family vacation in Yelling, Kettlecorn's son Olimar gets in a scuffle with some of the king's men who tease him about not knowing how to make an adequate piece of lechon. Thorgil decides to join in on the fun by turning the scuffle into a smut fest, learning that it was a ploy to arrest Kettle's family and take over his Farmville save data. Leif Erikson Day agrees to smuggle them back home in exchange for Sorf and Torfin's freedom, while King Canute Case readies his troops and Floki's Yom's Vikings for Farmageddon. Really quick, before I even mention anything about episode 12, I forgot to say earlier, uh, the piano in this whole season, especially in the second half with everything that Arnade goes through, is doing fucking work. Like, mm-hmm. as if these moments didn't hit hard enough, the piano makes them a hundred times more emotional. So I think the music is phenomenal in this season. And the fact that a lot of the songs are just a piano playing and they're so beautifully written, it's just, oh, it's amazing. And that's coming from the person who, like, half the time doesn't even notice the music. Yeah, and that's Yutaka Yamada, who is the composer for Vinland Saga. Uh, I don't have the exact tracks uh, that are used for these particular episodes, but I, I do agree that they add that beautiful tinge of emotion to these very impactful scenes in the show. But going from a lot of feels to the beginning of episode 12, I got to read off my first note here. Uh, verbatim, I wrote in all caps, I swear to God, if something happens and Leif Erikson doesn't reunite with Thorfinn, I will go crazy. This is the only reunion that matters, although I am excited for Thorfinn and Canute to reunite. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I got my wish, just not the way that I had hoped for. So we'll talk about it when we get to that episode. But yeah, we see Kettle's family was set up um, kind of by like Canute's plan, uh, but they escaped. Thanks to Leif Erikson, who's the fucking baller. He's the OG. And it's inevitable that Canute is going to head to the farm because he feels he needs to take the farm by force in order to reach his ultimate goal. Um, and he says that he does all of this to build up his utopia because of a lost love. And I think this is why the first ED song is mostly from Knut's perspective. I think we talked about a bit about that in uh, the part one review. Um, it can also apply to Thorfinn, but I felt like there was a good chunk of the intention for the first ED that was coming from like Canute's side of things because he has this lost love. Um, so I, what is lost love? Right. That That's kind of what I was thinking about because um, the episode title is for lost love, right? Mm-hmm. And the first ED was was titled without love. Yes. So I I think if you're talking from like Canute's perspective, is the lost love the fact that like he never felt love from his father or from like his family because he was a very loving, caring character. He was almost too soft in Askeladd's eyes in season one. And now that the love is lost, Canute is now following in his father's footsteps to a certain degree. 
um, constantly being haunted by him and is doing things as king in a way that is not natural to him. He has to kind of force himself to take Heddle's farm and to be more of a brutal individual to kill his brother, you know, discreetly. Um, but th that's like not his his way of doing things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I have the, I think this is the quote that Knut says at the end of the episode. Mock me if you wish, curse me if you must. I do all of this to create my utopia, all for lost love. Uh, I think he's saying this directly uh, to his father, who I know is kind of haunting him um, in the form of his decapitated head. Uh, so it's almost like, like this is all of you, all your fault. This is why I have to act this way. It's like you kind of forced my hand, um, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode, review episode. Like heavy is the head that wears the crown, and that's what's happening to Canute here. Um, although I think he kind of reconciles with this towards the end of the season after talking to Torfin uh, about like saying how he's creating this utopia it's revealed that it's more so for the sake of the vikings and i think he too wants to approach a, a sort of peaceful world but it's just hard for him to do so if he has to take these means and then again he talks to torfin and they kind of sort things out and can you manage to manages to find a way around it, I guess. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in the uh, final episode or that second to last episode. Uh, but yeah, here it's sort of like Knut's just stuck. It's also very clear with episode 12 and onward that Mappa is not holding back on the gore. As we talked about earlier, it's a good homage to what we experienced in season one. Although there is censorship in the version that we watch with like the like shaded or blacked out parts um, of some of the, some of the gore. Not all of the gore is like that, but some of like you know the severed arms and severed heads kind of have that censorship going on. Mm -hmm. And you know it's juxtaposed because you have this imagery of Thorgil happily slicing up all of these soldiers uh, all on Canute's side, but then you have Olimar or Omar. <laughs> I'm confusing him with the Pikmin character now. Uh, he's kneeling in shock in the foreground and he, as he's watching his brother commit these heinous acts. So it's not like any of this is being glorified. It's more to drum up the shock and awe of just how brutal this world is and whether or not any of this was necessary. Quick comment, though, on what you said earlier about how you were hoping for Leif Erikson to reunite with Torfin. I feel like this this is based off of history, <laughs> so there aren't many, I guess, spoilers on that are sh on the show in that sense. Uh, but I, I just thought it was funny, like how you were hoping like that these two, two characters unite when this is, I guess, recorded history. True, but I also don't know anything about this bit of history. So to me, it's all brand new. But yeah, to somebody who is pretty familiar with uh, that whole, you know, that whole chunk of history, I'm sure they're like, well, I know what's coming. Unless the writer takes some creative liberties and oh, just, you know, goes wild yeah, with it. I'm sure, because I don't know if Einar was actually a, a, a real person or Arnheid. Um, so I, I, that makes me curious if, 
Like there's an article or a video out there that shows the historical accuracy of the series when compared to the actual <laughs> the actual Vinland saga. In episode 13, Dark Clouds, a runaway slave from a nearby stead stirs up some trouble in Farmville while Einaru and Sorfin Torfin help Farmville's femme fertile Arnheide tend to Sverkel's decaying state. Things go from bad to brought worse when the runaway slave makes mincemeat of Farmville's bodyguards, and Arnheide reveals that the slave is none other than her hunky and haunted husbando. I love the comedic moments, like everyone laughing at um, the old dude uh, being stubborn during dinner, but I can... I can Sverkel. <laughs> I'll never remember his name, but thank you. Um, I, I can never feel, though, like I can totally let my guard down while watching this season or, like, feel safe in these moments that are lighter and more comedic or just, like, happier because it's almost like it's almost like its own version of foreshadowing that something bad is coming, like mm -hmm. the old man's decline um, or just, like, that general happiness. Like, you know it's going to be short-lived or something's going to ruin it. So even if there's not direct foreshadowing, you just get that sense that it's still trying to hint at something. Yeah, I especially loved seeing Thorfinn happy and engorging himself with Arnheide cooking that, uh, that feast for them at Sverkel's home. Um, and I think, to your point, Arnheide later comments on how much she enjoyed the dinner by saying, it was like I was free again. So these moments are, it's unfortunate that they're very fleeting because I think in, in, a, in a more perfect world, this could be their daily experience. But that's just not the case even on a farm that tries to help its slaves become free men and become retainers but they're, they're still stuck in this world that still has to bend to like strength and violence as an answer i think later in the episode there's that moment where thorfinn is listening in on the bible reading that snake is is giving to the old man again i know i, I already forgot his Sverkel. name just think of steve urkel <laughs> Sverkel. okay i'll try i'll try my best um even though Thorfinn's like not Christian or anything. He's listening in on this Bible reading. And I, I think that like he probably wasn't exposed much to religion while he was with Askeladd and, and his crew. But here he's absorbing the teachings and the words being read because they resonate with him and his new look on life, which is to live without violence. So while he may not like feel that connection from a religious aspect, he's finding that there are teachings out there or there are uh, you know, mentalities out there that align with what he's seeking. So he, you know, maybe doesn't feel as alone or maybe, you know, just feels motivation from hearing that. And the exact Bible verse that is being recited is from the New Testament of the Bible, which is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think, like you said, religion aside, I think this helps to form Thorfinn's thinking as he's become this reformed man who has shied away from the violence um, and is really trying to put that into perspective in this real world where enemies are bound and obviously there's plenty of persecution, but how do you, like, is there a way to combat that? 
or is there a way to rise above that? My last thought at the end of this episode was, oh shit, poor anal. Arnade is married. Yeah. <laughs> I we we had a feeling about Arnheide even in the last season. I, I thought that she was going to betray the farm. Me too. You know, I guess in a way this is a little bit of a betrayal, but not in like the most egregious sense. Uh but yeah, I, I just felt like there was Something about Arnheide that we didn't know about and that we're like, this was it. That she had a husband who was a slave at a different farm and he was going to stir up some trouble. She was way more um, wholesome and pure of a character than I expected her to be. Because yeah, I also thought that she was going to betray somebody somewhere down the line or like something bad was going to happen around her and while something bad did happen it was still a very wholesome bad <laughs> yeah um, i even thought like her like when she like ran out and like called his name or whatever i thought that like her husband was like also gonna be like a bad guy that like you know shouldn't be around but like even he was super fucking wholesome so yeah it was very unexpected in episode 14 freedom before he can whisk her away, Arnheide's husband, Guard Dammit, is incapacitated by Snake and detained for Farmville's judgment. Though Einaru offers to put together a rescue mission to retrieve Guard Dammit, Arnheide relents, revealing her husbando's growing lust for talking through his fists and her unexpected pregnancy with Kettlecorn's child, making this less of a Vinland saga and more like a Vinland soap opera. But it is not until Zverkel urges her to start living like Larry that Arnheide decides to take action in saving Guard Dammit and ex executing Project Runaway. I called it in the part one review. I called it early on um, when Einar implored Thorfinn to lend him his strength to save Arnheide's husband. How do you say his name? Gardar? Because they Gardar. say it different in the like the Japanese pronunciation sounds different. It's like Gardzar, I think is how they pronounce it. Oh, okay. I'm going to butcher this one too. <laughs> Arnade and Gardar. I mean, this is probably like the wrong pronunciation. If someone does actually like legitimately know how to pronounce their names correctly, please reach out and let us know. I'm just like purely curious, but I'll do my best here. Um, but yeah, when, when Einar was like, please Thorfinn, like help me to save Gardar or whatever. I knew this was coming. I knew that there was going to be a situation where Thorfinn has to choose between throwing away his oath of nonviolence, uh, which I think would kind of break him or, risk losing people he cares about and you know there's even that moment where you know anar is going to kind of take matters into his own hands and then thorfinn questions him you know are you prepared to kill a man and everything that comes with that uh but then it's like the the script is flipped where that 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 decision is on thorfinn now yeah so this kind of makes me curious about how he's going to deal with this situation because yeah, there's a lot of... It's interesting with Gardar and Arnheid's case, there's a lot of moral ambiguity there. Um, obviously, Gardar is a very violent person, but it's because that's what the world did to him. And you know, Arnheid is, is struggling with that too, with him being a runaway slave that's, that's lost his mind. But again, it's, it's a result of what this world has has made of people um and yeah seeing this play out i was interested in seeing what route Thorfinn would take although part of me was hoping that he would not break the ideals after his really pivotal episode in the first half 
so it's almost like here in a later episode he he learns how to kind of circumvent that. You can tell with like the backstory between Arnheide and and Gardar that like Arnheide loves her husband and lived a very peaceful life with him, but I kind of wonder, you know, at least at this point in the story, I wondered if she resented him for going off to fight, leaving her and their son vulnerable, vulnerable. And you get that brief shot towards the end of the episode where a spark lights a small flame in like that dying bonfire. And then you get a super quick shot of her eye looking so intense. And I was thinking to myself, what's going on in her head? What is she going to do? Like there's one of two things. Either she's determined now to get revenge on her husband for everything that he inadvertently put them through, or she's determined to save him. Obviously we know what happens, you know, within another episode or two, but you, you mentioned that Gardar is like his situation is a product of the world he lives in, but you also have to question, is he in this situation because of the decision he made to go off and fight? But then you mm-hmm. have to also question, because he said to Arne, like, we have to go fight. Otherwise, other people will attack us for these resources. Right. But what if that wasn't the case? It's mm-hmm. so weird. Like, it's it's tough for me, like, thinking about their backstory, because it could go either way. It could have been if Gardar never left to go fight and made that decision to go fight, they would still be living a peaceful life. Or on the flip side, had he not made that decision, they could have been attacked and probably dead at that point. Yeah, and again, I think that all just falls back to how they perceive this current world where, again, strength and violence is the answer and i guess yeah it's hard to say whether or not gardar made the right decision but i I think in the end because of the way that this this world has been operating um this this age of vikings it always leads to like a a tragic ending for everyone involved Uh, so i get like arnheide didn't want to uh, I guess you didn't want to get involved with trying to redeem Gardar in a way until, like I said, the the synopsis, like Zverkel tells her, even if you can wait out the storm, it leaves scars behind. So for her to, I guess, not take up any action is also like, I, th- I think it's, it's the same result, right? You, you do something, it's going to have... A, uh, uh, it may have a negative effect on you. You don't do something, it'll still have a negative effect on you. But I think what's happening here is that there's a chance for Arnheide to reach back out to her husband, who's in a his mental state is in decay, and kind of bring him back to be the person that he used to be. Uh, and you know, t- to go back to the soundtrack, I have to commend and. Yutaka Yamada for the bursting piano that is playing in a lot of these quiet moments during the episode, especially those related to Arnheide and Gardar's story. In episode 15, Storm, Project Runaway is not off to a great start as Arnheide visits Guard Dammit at the retainer camp and unlocks his berserker mode before they go out on the lamb. While Snake and his men slither their way through all possible escape routes and hiding spots, Sorfin, Torfin, and Enaru daydream of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charm. Though when their brainstorming session is interrupted by the search party, 
Einaru decides that Project Runaway should be their top priority. In that scene where Arnie is crying, oh my god, her voice actress was amazing. Like, her emotional breakdown felt so genuine. That was, like, a fantastic performance. Because you have Arnaid, who is clearly torn between reuniting with her husband and leaving him because he's not the same man. Like, she's torn between, like, being with him again or leaving him behind because he's changed so much Mm -hmm. from the person that she once knew. And then you have that talk between Thorfinn and Einar about finding a place where they can achieve peace. I found it kind of interesting because... I actually totally forgot about Vinland itself and that Leif Erikson had told Thorfinn about it when he was a kid. But now I know why it's called Vinland Saga. (laughs) We went the whole first season with just like barely a mention about Vinland and then no other talk about it. I mean, it was mentioned a couple of times, right? But it wasn't the focus. So I'm like, why is it called Vinland Saga? But now, now I know. Yeah, here, like, I know when he was younger, I think Thorfinn kind of saw Vinland as this, this great paradise where you can have everything that you want but i think as they're having like this they're having this philosophical discussion he and uh einar vinland has sort of become more than that uh which is like a place where people can truly be free free from the shackles of violence where they don't need swords uh, and can serve as this sort of haven this as this sort of land for the outcasts, uh, which I like how this kind of ties in with Arnheit's story later, uh, where here it's establishing that they've gone out on the lamb um, and are still subject to the rules of this violent world. I like that Einar plays devil's advocate and tells Thorfinn that like sometimes you need to be violent to protect peace and happiness. But then Thorfinn still can't accept that um, he can't accept that that reality, saying that he he doesn't want to carry or can't carry the weight of any more dead of, of killing any more people, and I think all of this kind of hits Thorfinn hard because now he's seeing the consequences of the destruction he caused as a warrior. Obviously, mm-hmm. he didn't single handedly cause it, but he was very much a part of it, a contributing factor to that, um, and I think he. He even feels like hypocritical when he was like deeply impacted by his own father's murder and then goes and murders the sons and fathers of others. Like that is an interesting thought that I never really stopped to have until all the way into the second half of season two is that Thorfinn, I mean, literally the whole revenge plot happened because he was devastated by his father's murder, yet doesn't give Mm -hmm. a second thought to killing the family members of other people. That's the paradox. Yep. Right? <laughs> the paradox from VOP. Yeah, that's that's kind of mind-blowing that Torfinn is getting revenge on a person who didn't want him to get revenge at all, knowing the price that he has to pay. And now Torfinn, like he has paid the price for it, uh, but thankfully he, he's come out of it a, a, a better person. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just had a... A, a mind-blowing moment there too <laughs> i also like i'm in this weird place at least i was at that point in uh the second half of season two where i was rooting for thorfinn to stick to his oath but i was equally rooting for him to let loose and fuck some shit up again and i know we talked about this in our episode where we discussed our our anime guilty pleasures and one of mine is 
knowing that there's like this underdog character or what is seemingly an underdog character, but they have like this amazing skill that the other characters haven't been introduced to yet or don't aren't aware of yet. And I love that like delicious moment where they can like stick it to everyone and like rub it in their faces and like basically kick everyone's asses or like show their amazing skill and everyone's like, oh my God, this person's really amazing. Um, I know it's like super cheesy, but I just, I eat that shit up. I think it's so cool to see that. So I'm like waiting, at least at this part, I was like kind of waiting. I'm like, when is Thorfinn going to show everyone that he can kick some ass? Yeah, I ho- I was torn about that because I know what Thorfinn is capable of. But again, you had that episode in the first half where he can finally find some closure with his inner demons and him emerging out of that, swearing to never strike down another human being again. I I, I think it would be so hypocritical for him to fall back and just suddenly become a violent animal again. Obviously, that that's not the case <laughs> after watching this season, and I'm grateful for that. But it would have been disappointing to see him sort of ignore everything that he had worked up towards in that moment. I completely agree. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I think we still get a good level of satis- or I still get a good level of satisfaction for that guilty pleasure, where at least at the end of the season people who didn't know anything about Thorfinn realize that he's actually pretty fucking badass. Um, Like when Einar found out that Thorfinn was the one who scarred the king's face. I mean, that is a big fucking deal. Mm -hmm. I think like that was at least satisfying enough for people to be like, oh God, this guy is like a big deal. Like he's really good at what he does. Even if he's not fighting right now, we can sense how much of an intense warrior he is. Yeah, so he's badass in another sense. And that's pretty difficult to mm-hmm. do, to prove how badass you are by not even doing the thing that you're known to be badass for. It, it was the, the way it all played out, the way it was all written was just, it was great. It's almost like you don't want to fuck around and find out yeah. with, with Tarfin. <laughs> it's also kind of like that fucking meme of like the party where the one dude standing there oh, and he's right. like, all these people don't know that I blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. They don't know that I scarred Canute's face. <laughs> they don't know that I'm a fucking badass warrior. <laughs> In episode 16, Great Purpose, Enaru and Sorf and Torfin find Arnhide secretly stowing guard dammit at Zverkel's humble abode and they formulate a plan to get Project Runaway back on track. As Einaru puts on a guard dammit cosplay to send Snake's men on a wild goose chase, Snake doubles back to Zverkel's house and finds Sorf and Torfin in the middle of preparing the Project Runaway convoy. With nowhere left to hide, Torfin is forced to choose violence, albeit this time with the no weapons cheat code. So the way I felt at the end of this episode again waiting for the moment that Thorfinn like lets loose on somebody was probably from like the office Michael saying like oh my god it's happening everyone stay calm Mm -hmm. (laughs) that like classic moment that's how I felt by the end of this episode but in the beginning of the episode um you have like Einar talking to Arnhaid who kind of like went against what she said she'd do which is wait out the storm but then Arnhaid kind of admits that she's holding out hope that she could regain some like semblance of the life that she once lived with Gardar and their actual son. So I think that her grasping at and holding on to those memories, those good memories, which are probably the only memories that are keeping her going is what is influencing her in this moment to do what she is doing. 
and it's just unfortunate that Gardar is just he's forever changed by war and violence as kind of I think it's evidence in his eyes or I think she says his eyes once full of confidence but now they they feel so hollow because again they've been corrupted by this world and in this in this realm there's nowhere that they can really turn but I think this is kind of driving the point home for Thorfinn to find a realm outside of this world so going back to finding and establishing Vinland as this refuge for all Thorfinn also kind of realizes that Arnaid has no other option than to do what she did or like, you know, to commit to running away with Gardar. And I think that helps Thorfinn realize that sometimes there is no other option than the less ideal one, which is already what Einar was trying to tell him in the last episode, uh, meaning Thorfinn may have to resort to violence. Like everyone is like hinting to him that sometimes, even if you make an oath like this, sometimes there are reasons to be violent and then you have at the the end of the episode like snake is about to attack thorfinn and then he's visited by askeladd who poses a very similar question of like are you going to remain a pacifist or are you going to allow violence for the sake of helping someone else but then askeladd kind of takes that same theme that other characters have been uh, like sprinkling onto Thorfinn and throws a caveat to it saying that Snake also probably has his reasons for choosing violence. Um, but then he's like, oh, by the way, there's no time to think it through because he's already approaching you. <laughs> yeah. The question, which road leads to becoming a true warrior? But I kind of like that Thorfinn kind of responds to this question by just going into self-defense mode. So it's almost like he's still sticking to his ideals um, although you see him in his old form as he's assuming his dagger stance minus the daggers uh, that was that was so hype like that was so hype like when Asklad tells Thorfinn that he's not going to be able to beat Snake if he's half asleep and mm-hmm. then Thorfinn like you know snaps into it and he like goes full on dagger stance. I was like, yo, like he doesn't even have the daggers, but he's just recalling everything from all of his training and all of his experiences as a as a fighter um, for this moment. But then Asklad says, like, you're on your way to becoming a true warrior. And it, it's that same theme about being a warrior, a true warrior, even though it's not a warrior in the traditional sense or like the mm-hmm. the sense that you'd expect. I, I like to think that what Asklad is telling him as far as like becoming a true warrior is that he's able to overcome whatever it is that he's up against, that he's able to do things in order to help others. Without compromising on his belief. Yeah. So it's like you're a warrior because you're able to overcome these hurdles, even if they're not traditional hurdles of just straight up fighting a dude one-on-one. In episode 17, The Road Home, it's a Ragnarok and roll as Snake squares off against Sorfin Torfin, whom he did not expect to have a mastery of fighting game controls. Snake still ends up fatally wounding Guard Dammit, who in turn puts him into a WWE chokehold until Arnheide manages to calm down the beast. The couple then leave Farmville unhappily ever after, though Guard Dammit deliriously succumbs to his wounds and they are subsequently taken back to the farm in custody leaving Project Runaway a runaway failure. This was an incredible 
episode. I, I couldn't believe when it ended. Like it went by lightning fast and had a ton of stuff in it. So first we see Thorfinn back in action, which I was like waiting for this whole time. But this time he's using violence as a means of defense and not really hurting Snake, but trying to like stop him or subdue him. And then you have both Snake and Thorfinn realizing the other one is a seasoned fighter mm -hmm. and then wondering like how did the other one end up where they are now? Like why is Snake working as a bodyguard on a farm? And why is Thorfinn a slave when he has all of this ability, um, you know, ingrained in him? And I, I did see a tweet that the creator, uh, I apologize, his name is already escaping me. Uh, I have it here. What was it? Makoto Yukimura. Yes, thank you. He wanted to do a Snake backstory episode, but couldn't. Um, and I think either sent out a tweet or sent out some sort of statement like apologizing to fans that he wasn't able to fulfill that. And I don't think it was part of the manga, but it was something extra that they wanted to do or were hoping to do for the Villain Saga anime. And I'm holding out hope that maybe they'll make it a, an OVA because I would yeah. love a Snake backstory episode. Or I know that MAPPA was releasing these sort of extra snippets on their YouTube channel kind of like deleted scenes or extras uh, that kind of provide more context to the story in season two, they could probably go that route. Um, although to fit it within like a two minute time frame, I think wouldn't do Snake's story justice. But yeah, maybe there'll be an OVA like on the Blu-ray release or it'll end up on Crunchyroll somewhere as a, an added bonus feature. Then the other reason this episode went by lightning fast, you have one of the hardest hitting sequences in the show so far. And it happens with characters we only really got introduced to a few episodes ago. Obviously, we've known Arnaid for a little while now, but she's still a new character. At least I feel like she's still a new character. And Gardar is like brand new. So to me, it's like beautiful writing strikes again when I can be so emotionally impacted by characters I've barely had time to get to know. I literally got choked up watching this kind of like final sequence for them. Uh, and like how tragic for Arne to know her husband is going to die, but wants to send him off like as happy as possible. Like that was really, really hard to watch. Yeah, especially when they're using metaphors of home as... You know, as Gardar's kind of slipping away from this world, he's starting to see, like, what paradise would have been like, what, like, what he would have had if he didn't resort to living this life of violence, where he sees his child, Helti, I think was his name, um, which I think it's hinted at that Helti had just perished at some point. Yeah, because I think when he was taken from Arnaid, he was still kind of a baby. And then you see mm -hmm. Hjalti in like paradise or whatever, probably a right. few years older. It, it's really sad to think when you think about it. Like, yeah. you know, he, he's sitting there waiting for his parents to reunite with him. But that confirms like he didn't last very long. And who knows how the poor kid died. Yeah, it's just heart-wrenching to think about. But obviously, Gardar is thinking that that's his reality here um, and saying, I'm home. But then you go back to the real world where it's Arnheide you know, seeing that Gardar has passed away and tearfully telling him, welcome home. Uh, again, <laughs> there's just so much power behind this m metaphor 
that it, it makes this episode one of the highlights of the second core and again establishing like what could have been if these characters weren't living in such a cruel world 100 percent. like this season is all about the consequences of choices actions and of violence like like you just said garter could have had it all a loving family a comfortable life but he chose violence when he agreed to go to war for iron and the resources and it cost him literally everything including his own life and Arnaid, I know I said before, like she, I'm guessing she's struggling with the idea of like being with Gardar, but seeing how much he's changed because she very much notices how like violent and angry he is. And that's not the, the Gardar that she knew and loved. But then when that moment where he says that when Hjalti comes of age and wants to go on adventures like Vikings do, he decided like he's not going to let him. I think that reminds Arnaid it is still the same Gardar deep down inside, even mm-hmm. if he's been... Even if he's jaded, even if he's been like, you know, uh, betrayed by the world, he's still the same person at his core. And again, this is all highlighted by a beautiful piano track that's playing during this dream sequence. I'd really like to get my hands on the season two album, although I don't think that's available for streaming or music streaming services yet. Uh Maybe I'll look back on the season one soundtrack and see if they had pulled any panel tracks from there. Although I, I can't really remember anything. But uh, yeah, just again, great use of music to complement these moments. This is kind of random and totally unrelated. But it was at this point, I don't know why this episode in particular, but it was at this point that I realized Snake's voice actor is the same voice actor who voiced Polnareff from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3. And I just, I like couldn't look at him the same. Like he's a great cast for Snake. He's got a fantastic voice um, and he does a phenomenal job. But then sometimes when he yells, I can't not hear Polnareff. And then it kind of breaks my immersion. I believe that is Fuminori Komatsu who voices, uh, yeah, who voices Snake. Uh, but obviously notable for his work as Jean-Pierre Polnareff on JoJo. In episode 18, The First Method, with Canute Case's convoy of carnage right on his tail, Leif Erikson Day returns to Farmville with Kettlecorn's dysfunctional family, with Torgil readying up the farmhands for the coming battle, and Kettle discovering Arnheid's heinous crime of passion and pregnancy. Snake manages to stop Cadle right before Arnheid can book a one-way ticket to Valhalla, but the formerly friendly farmhead's blood pressure is so high to the point that he goes against his ideals in fervently welcoming the impending destruction of Farmageddon. So now we reach what is probably my only true gripe about season two of Vinland Saga. There's like a couple things I'm sure I could pick out of my pick out of my ass. <laughs> I was gonna say that pull out of my ass. <laughs> um, but like, if there was one real true gripe, it's that we were robbed, robbed of the long-awaited reunion between Thorfinn and Leif Erikson. I was so disappointed by that. I mean, I was happy that they reunited, but the fact that we didn't get to see any of it and they just were like hanging out in like the next scene like they had obviously already reunited and had their conversations i was really bummed about that i similar to like snake's backstory i hope that maybe later on there'll be like an ova or something 
um, that'll show us the reunion because this is like years in the making in terms of like the story's timeline and we didn't get to see any of it. <laughs> like it just, it killed me inside. Yeah, I wonder if that happened in the manga too where Torfin and Leaf's reunion is just glossed over. But I don't, <laughs> I don't think they should have done that in favor of these characters, which, you know, they've been great characters for this season, like Cato's family and Arnheide, but there's so much significance with Leaf finally reuniting with the real Thorfinn that, yeah, I was just, I was astounded that they pushed that away in place of Cato announcing that he's on this war path to kill the king if he has to. Yeah, I could see maybe the decision being like it would have been a very odd tone shift to go from this reunion to like Arnid getting her ass completely whooped. Um, but I agree. I think that that is the reunion is such an important moment that I would have been fine with an awkward tone shift in if it meant being able to to see these two characters finally be in the same place at the same time. Especially because there was a, a moment in this episode where Leaf is arguing with Snake about releasing Thorfinn. Like it's like they were building to this moment because he he's so close. They're like on the same piece of land. They're couple... like a hundred feet away, probably right. more than hundred feet. But like there's yeah, they're like within shouting distance. Yeah, but then we were never really rewarded with that. It was just kind of it was a bit of a letdown. I agree. Instead, what we get is Kettle going fucking ape shit on Arnhade and that was really rough to watch. I think of all of the mm -hmm. gore and violence in all of Vinland Saga, this was probably one of the only scenes where I like physically felt uncomfortable. And you think about like Kettle, like he's been nothing but kind his whole life. And now he's about to have everything taken away from him for no reason. So it's it's kind of like no wonder he lost his shit um, when they got back home, because again, like he's been living this kind life, trying to help people, help them, you know, buy their way out of slavery. And yeah, deep down in his core, like he's a kind person, as we saw with those two kids um, who were stealing from the farm. And Kettle was kind of like, no, I'll beat them up because I know I'm going to do it less worse than like Thorgill or whatever. Like he wants mm -hmm. to find the kindest way to do something. Um, but then all of this shit happens despite his what should be good built up karma but does that justify him beating arnade hell no absolutely not like i can understand why he snapped and went crazy but like this is just like too much arnade was one of his sources of happiness and instead of trying to preserve that he literally killed it i think this defaults again to the reality of the world that these characters are living in again kind of under the shadow of vikings of this world that perceives strength and violence as the prevailing truth. I remember back in the first half, you know, Kittle was so frightened of what people would think of him and uh, that he was always like this, this nonviolent person. And in a, a way he thought that was cowardly when held to these violent standards. Uh, but I think this also shows that Kittle is cowardly and not knowing how to grapple with the violence when he's confronted with it and he still defaults to it as a solution. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, yeah, I, I agree. It's like 
it, all of this is really the the brutal reality of Vikings. Like they they would take whatever they want with brute force. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess his reaction is just a not like a natural response, but kind of like a natural response, right? Like you're like he, pissed off. You need yeah. to do what you got to do, but you're like pent up because it's all like it's all happening, and and you could lose everything in a in a flash. Because I think he believes like there's no other way. Yeah. In this world, even though, again, that's what Thorfinn is fighting against. Like, there's something that we can grow beyond in this situation if we were to just put away this world of praising strength and violence. Yeah, it's almost like Kettle is the is the like alternate version of what Thorfinn could be if he mm-hmm. gave in to the pressures of violence. He would end right. up like Kettle. You know, doing all these crazy things, but you know, Thorfinn decides to take a different path. In episode nineteen, the Battle of Cadel's Farm, all hell breaks loose as Farmageddon commences, with Cadelcorn's cavalry proving to be no match for Canute Case's brigade of bulky brawn. Meanwhile, Thorfinn, Thorfinn, and Einaru escort a semi-conscious Arnheide off the premises. Thorgil sneakily escorts himself onto Canute Case's premises. And Olimar takes himself entirely out of this episode's battle premise. So I'd say this is a bit of a slower episode. It definitely wasn't the big epic battle that I was expecting. But then again, the season isn't about the spa- the splashy violence. It's about you know the character development. Um, CGI soldiers. Did you notice those? No, I didn't. I think in some of the shots there were. It, it didn't bother me. Like I get why. It's hard to. 2d animate all of that uh but you know it is what it is hey well props to mappa i normally i i pinpoint cgi because i'm not a big fan of it in anime but this went right uh right past me say so, hey, at least it, it blended in well um but we do get a little bit so we talked a bit about like snake not having a full-blown backstory but we do get a little bit about it he kind of knew all along that kettle was using another kettle's reputation as being like iron fist Kettle, I think, is, is the mm-hmm. nickname because um, he knew the real Iron Fist Kettle. So it's kind of interesting that, like, it, it, like I think the whole story behind, like, Snake meeting this Kettle and, like, helping each other out, one by not spoiling the truth about who they are and the other, you know, giving him a place to live and in exchange for being a, a bodyguard. That, that was interesting. I still do hold out hope that there will be some sort of OVA or something about Snake because I'd like to see how that, that full story played out. But the big thing about this episode is Arnhade's final moments. Um, her seeing visions of her husband and, and of her, her children. Um, you see that imagery of a wolf and a deer in the forest. And I think those are supposed to represent Thorfinn and Einar. Mm-hmm. Because she looks at them and then Gardar right after that kind of says, like, you need to go thank them. Um, but when he says that, he says he and the children will wait for her. So that's kind of the moment you realize you get that sinking feeling like oh shit the children will wait for us not just yalti meaning the baby didn't make it either and she does confirm that too but then you have thorfinn and Einar trying to convince her to like like stay with them to to find a reason to live and she says she doesn't want to go anywhere if there's still slaves in war and i i'm not surprised that she kind of lost the will to live and and gave in to death because that was her one salvation because if you think about it after everything that like Gardar went through and then he dies and all that her last glimmer of hope her last tie to this living world is her unborn child 
and the potential of living at least a comfortable life with Kettle and, and that baby. But mm-hmm. then the world betrays her once again and Kettle beats her and, and doesn't trust her and then ultimately ends up killing the baby. So at that point, she's like, I literally have nothing left. Like my last glimmer of hope is gone. There is no reason for me to stay when I can find salvation and be reunited with my family. Man, that's just, it's it's sad. It's, it's really sad. It's really messed up. Uh, and you know, I had a I had a glimmer of hope that, you know, when Arnheide sees that wolf and deer in her vision, seeing that these are lives that are still trying to survive in the dark forest, I, again, thinking that they're representing Torfin and Einar, I thought that with her coming to again, uh, that, that, that would have given her a chance to uh, turn a new leaf and join the pair in finding that earthly haven. But then, of course, Garda, who appears in the vision, is asking her to bid farewell to her friends. And yeah, that like was kind of like the nail on the coffin where it's like, okay, I can see where this is heading. Although I think that's Arnheit's death, with, which actually happens in the next episode. Uh, it, it sort of adds the feel to the fire for Torfin and Einar to take on this virtuous mission of finding a realm beyond the realm of Vikings of violence to offer that haven to people like Arnheide who have nowhere else to turn and who are, I know this is probably not the right colloquial term for it, but like people who are so down in the dumps uh, that they, they need that glimmer of hope beyond the horizon. Um, and that'll kind of lead them out of this dark forest as the metaphor is used in this episode. I think we do get, closure in this episode between Leaf and Torfin where Leaf has like he comments positively on how much Torfin has changed and refuses to leave without him but that's all I really wrote in my notes so I don't know if it was a lot of closure that as much as we were expecting like we talked about in the previous episode in episode 20 pain it's 100 to nil as the Yom's Vikings continue to clobber the Cadelcorns prompting Snake to call a retreat of the farm's forces. Torgil, however, didn't get the memo, trying to solo Canute Case until the king calls for backup. Elsewhere, Arnheide wakes up, grabs a brush and puts a little makeup, and hides the scars to fade away into the great Norse beyond. Sick of all the weeping and the moaning and the gnashing of teeth, Sorfin Torfin decides to have a talk with Canute Case himself to prevent Farmageddon from taking any more Pharma brethren. Side note, I think... This episode, actually, it had a quote-unquote world premiere at Anime Central this year uh, because there was a, I think, Vinland Saga panel and the convention had invited some of the staff involved with Vinland Saga to talk about their experience with the show. And so I think it ended with a premiere of this episode, although we didn't get a chance to see it. So That would have been cool, though, although it would have been a very emotional episode. Yeah, oh, man. (laughs) The episode does bring us back to Canute and what's going on with him. And we see him maintaining his original soft heart and kindness when he's saying like he doesn't want any of the fleeing men killed and for the bodies to be treated with respect and return to to their families. This is a constant, like these little things are constant reminders that his nature is to default to kindness. 
he wants to find a kind way to make his utopia and what whatnot. Um, he even <laughs> he even says he would still want Thorgil to work for him as a guard, despite him almost killing Canute. Mm-hmm. I think Canute like recognizes his strength and doesn't hold it against Thorgil because ultimately all this is happening because Canute betrayed Thorgil and his family. Um, but yeah, it it was interesting seeing Canute take those approaches to the people of the farm. I mean, a part of it's like it's his own fault that the farm is being attacked. He's making that decision, but he's also, you know, wanting to be as kind, remain as kind as possible, despite that that voice, you know, in the back of his head, which is his father haunting him, his father's head haunting him. Yeah, yeah. Canute is also victim to this world and and its ways, so he can only do so much. That's kind of what I pulled out from this scene. Uh, I think earlier on. Like in the beginning of the episode, a lot of gore, although it's censored on, on Crunchyroll where we watch the show. Uh, and then there was that, I think Badger was his name, where he was just fighting with one arm. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, This these were the scenes where, again, it, it's the action, it's the violence that we, we were expecting out of Vinland Saga. So I think it satiated our, our appetite for the timing. But again... I think it, it was that it was enough. Like it was enough that we needed in order to bring us back to again, like why this needs to be shown in order for us to understand why these characters need to move forward from this type of activity. I guess. Yeah, I agree. The Mappa's not holding back on the gore, but it makes all of this feel more real. Um, and brutal and horrif- horrifying, like this is what was happening at the time with the Vikings. But then on the flip side of that, you have the moment where Thorfinn uses CPR on Arnhead to try and resuscitate her to keep her alive. And he says he learned it from his father. So if you think about it, like Thor's was teaching Thorfinn how to save lives instead of take them ever since he was a kid. Like we do see those moments where Thor's um, instills different uh values in Thorfinn about like not having enemies and all that but it even it went even beyond that with you know ways to save a dying person but after she dies you have Einar who is filled with rage and like no one can blame him right like he's super pissed and he had feelings for Arnaid um but then Thorfinn begs Einar not to give into that because he doesn't want to see Einar go down the same path that Thorfinn did as a kid when Thor's was killed because that was the, the, the triggering point. Thor's gets killed. Thorfinn goes on this revenge, um, you know, rampage. Einar here sees Arnaid killed and now he wants to go on that same rampage to get his own revenge. Yeah, it was he's pretty easy for Einar to snap out of it and then go back to just being inconsolable. I think it's Thorfinn who kind of just docks him right hits him in the face or wherever yeah and i think the difference here is that like thorfinn was like an angry fucking kid like he mm-hmm. he had anger issues like anar doesn't necessarily have anger issues like he's a nice person by nature it's just he's also very reactive so i think that's why it was probably easier for anar to like not give into that plus he's an adult thorfinn was a kid at the time he was like six years old so you know he was doing i guess what the only thing he could do back then Hmm. yeah I think the highlight of this episode, as I mentioned previously, is the passing of Arnheide uh, as she poses these questions like, 
where will we go once we leave this place as they're trying to escape the farm? As you talked about, uh, there's pretty much nothing left for her to live for. Uh, even as I think Leaf was offering up his village where she could live, she asks if it has slaves, if it still has wars. And of course it does because that's the reality of this world. Um, and it feels more enticing for her to reunite in the afterlife with Gardar, or Gardar and her child. And I think another question she poses is, why do I have to live? Which is interesting because I kind of compare this to Aynar's I have to live, which was sort of his mantra in the first half. And that I think Aynar answers her, but once she passes by saying, like live with me again. Like he could have been her second chance at life. But of course, like the pain was just too much for Ironhide to bear. So she she moves on, which again is unfortunate, but I think that's the best sort of closure for her in this moment, even though with what Torfin and Aynard are trying to establish with Vinland, that could have been an opportunity for her to kind of pick up the pieces of her life and try to move forward. You could even juxtapose that to uh, the early moment in season two of Thorfinn um, when he's going up against Snake for the first time. And like Thorfinn's like, I just kill me or whatever. Like I have no reason mm, to live. And yeah. Snake's like, well, obviously you do have something to live for because in this moment that I tried to attack you, you defended yourself instead of just allowing yourself to be attacked or killed or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's interesting to see the different viewpoints. Like you said, Anar feels like he has to live. He, he's motivated to live. Thorfinn is not motivated to live, but then finds a reason to live. And then Arnade is not, is motivated, I guess, to live, but like has multiple reasons taken away from her to the point where she no longer has that motivation. Mm -hmm. In episode 21, Courage, Canute Case, Ever the Ambiguous Monarch, tells Floki and his Yom's Vikings to lay off the pillaging of Farmville while acting farm captain Olimar decides to wave the white flag and bend the knee to his new Danish overlord, much to his brother Torgil's chagrin. Unbeknownst to them, however, Sorfin Torfin has taken the matter into his own hands by entering Canute's camp to request an audience with his former travel buddy. He just has to survive 100 rounds of Mike Tyson's punch-out first. So... Canute won't agree to see Thorfinn. And I was a little bit confused by this because, like, he touches his scar before saying no, obviously hinting back to the end of season one. Like, this is that's kind of like why he's saying no. But I was confused if it was like Canute is mad about what happened with Askeladd and that, like, all that went down. So he doesn't want to see Thorfinn. Or is Canute scared to face him after taking away the opportunity to kill Askeladd from Thorfinn. Um, so do you think he was afraid Thorfinn would try to get revenge on him? That's what I'm, I'm like trying to figure out. Like either he's afraid that Thorfinn's going to come back for the revenge that he wasn't able to, you know, secure in the end of season one, or maybe he feels bad about taking away the one thing that Thorfinn so badly wanted, which was to be the, the one to kill Askeladd. Or maybe Canute's pissed <laughs> that Thorfinn attacked him and left him that scar at the end of season one. Mm. Like, I never really got a, a good understanding of why he originally, like, didn't want to see him after, like, touching his scar and saying, no, I don't want to see Thorfinn. 
but yeah, maybe it's just, maybe whatever it was just went over my head. Yeah, I'm thinking that Canute, he's not aware that Torfin has changed his ways. So part of me thinks that he just believes there's nothing fruitful that would come out of a conversation with him if Torfin is still that hell-bent, vengeful little fuck, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of not like that the preview for episode 22 spoiled the fact that Thorfinn and Knut actually do come face to face. I was like, oh, well, okay, now we know that at some level they're going to they're gonna meet. I think at one point in this episode, um, Omar, yeah, he states his intention to surrender to Knut's forces. And of course, Thorgil doesn't like the answer. Um, posing the question of what is real courage considered in this world is obviously Thorgil calls Omar a coward for making this decision uh, because Thorgil represents that that old school mentality of I think someone later says it's like might is right but I think it's Thorfinn who demonstrates what real courage is by the end of this episode and him agreeing to take all these punches so that he can confront Canute and put all of this bloodshed to an end, but approaching it in a way where he's not using violent means. So for him to to do this takes up a lot of courage, like to stand up against a, a significantly brutal force but choosing not to use the same means to contend with that force. Like I that again that, I think that also speaks to how much of a true warrior Torfin is. Um and going back to our conversation about how we aren't really able to see badass moments of Torfin, or in the sense that we thought of him doing these badass things in season one, with him being like a one man army, I, I would say like the moments in this episode and the next episode where he's technically not doing anything, but he's still standing up for what he believes in. Again, I think those are what makes Torfin so badass in season two. To your earlier point about Omar, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Okay. To to your earlier point about Omar, like, is he a coward or is he actually brave for going against the norm? I, I think that there are other characters in season two that help to support Thorfinn's storyline, Omar being one of them, because there's this theme constantly about kind of like breaking the mold, getting away from the violence, even when violence is like the core of the society, right? Like everything is judged based on violence and strength and whatnot. But Omar is wanting to be part of that. He wants to fight. He wants to fit the mold, even though he really is not built for it. Like that's just not the person that he is. Um, but then here he starts to realize there are other ways, even if I'm going to be seen as a coward, there are other ways to get to an end goal that is satisfactory that don't involve violence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also complemented by, I think Leaf notices that, again, it's been so long since he's been like searching for Torfin and he finally finds him, but he realizes that Thorfinn is being called to do something bigger in this moment. And so he allows for that to, to happen um, as 
he's going off to towards Canute's camp. And I think that just, again, contributes to how much courage Thorfinn is actually showing in this episode, which is a better form of courage than what Thorgil presumes it to be. Really quick, because you said this um, and it kind of jogged my memory, um, Leif Erikson did briefly reunite with Thorfinn at the end of season one, right? But then, like, Thorfinn, like, slipped through his fingers uh yes it's like I right before the Askeladd stuff happens mm-hmm. i think he had almost like seen him in passing in like a, a village or something i thought he like actually talked to thorfinn but then thorfinn ran away to go find Askeladd. i had to uh, i have to go back and rewatch mm-hmm. it i yeah. thought there was like an actual like technically they reunited but like thorfinn was so focused on Askeladd that it wasn't the reunion that we all thought it was gonna be i could be wrong though i have yeah, to go back I'm- and watch I'm picturing that Thorfinn just happened to pass by Leif, who like just took a quick glance at him and thought, "Is that an older Thorfinn?" <laughs> you know, there's probably a, a a YouTube clip online that we can watch, but I, yeah, I think at some point they did cross paths before this moment. In episode twenty-two, the King of Rebellion. Thorfinn pushes through the punch-out even as Olimar and Snake arrive to try and halt the proceedings, for the ponytailed protagonist would rather turn the other cheek rather than clap all the cheeks. His get-together with Canutecase is approved, although the mysterious monarch is pretty much set on taking over Farmville all in the name of God and anime, and sure as hella won't let some ponytailed protagonist stand in his way. Thorfinn said it. He said it. He said he has no enemies. And when he said that, and it, it kind of uh, has a small callback to the beginning of the show where Thor says to young Thorfinn, you don't have enemies. No one has enemies. Uh, I think that is a pivotal moment for Thorfinn solidifying that he is becoming or maybe has become the person that Thor's wanted him to be. He's been on this path, right? Like he's been trying to get over the violence. He's been trying to get away from it, trying to atone for his sins. But when he said, I have no enemies, I think that really solidified that he is the son of Thor's. Like he is the person that Thor's wanted him to ultimately become. Great orchestral music in this scene too. Not the, not the, you know, the elegance of the piano, but with like the rallying drums like really builds up Thorfinn and this moment. And I love how prior to this Thorfinn continues to take, I think his name was Drotz punches and almost tells him like, hurry the hell up, bitch. <laughs> like he was at, he, he was asking, cause I think that that point he was faltering after like the 32nd punch, but he was willing to take on the remaining 68 because we know that Thorfinn's body, even though he hasn't resorted to violence since his promise back in the first core, his body is obviously still battle-hardened against violence. So he's using that to his advantage in this moment and and negotiating for peace. Not only that, but he's using his training that he got being part of Askeladd's group and probably got from Askeladd because, again, I'm terrible with names, the, the dude with one eye who's like the right-hand man to Canute. Uh, he wolf wolf yeah Yeah. he sees what's going on and he doesn't say it out loud but in his head because he's also a seasoned fighter he realizes what thorfinn is doing that he's falling 
like into the blows or like diffusing the blows with the way that he's moving his body so that he can withstand more punches. And he, Wolf realizes like only a seasoned fighter would know how to do something like that. And I love two things about this whole like punching bag scene. One that they actually went through with the hundred punches. I figured there was going to be some cop out or some way around it. Like Wolf was going to step in and say, no, 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 we don't need to keep going with this. You know, I'll let, you, I'll let you speak to Canoe, but they went all the way. They did the full 100 punches, and I thought that was really impressive. <laughs> this just popped in my head. This reminds me of uh, Flats the Flounder. Oh, yeah. That episode is where it's he's... Like, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> like he's losing stamina as he's trying to kick SpongeBob's butt, <laughs> and that's the same thing that happens with Drought. By the end, he has, like, no no oomph left in his 100th punch that he like just collapses <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing i do like about this uh this punching bag scene is that transition from everyone laughing at thorfinn you know placing bets that he's gonna get knocked out by like the 19th or the 30th punch or whatever it is to this utter silence as everybody that's standing there slowly gains respect for thorfinn with each punch that's thrown mm-hmm. because they realize he's serious about reaching his goals, about talking to Canute, and about doing so in a nonviolent way, although he's still technically involved in violence because someone's being violent towards him. But that transition was really powerful. It wasn't like super in your face or whatever, but just feeling that that shift in energy from like laughing at Thorfinn to just like watching in awe. Like I, I felt the power behind that. Again, another badass moment that subverts expectations of what it means to be a badass again what it means to be a true warrior which Thorfinn has proved time and again in this season and I talked a little bit about this already but that delicious moment was still there for me when uh you know you get you get Wolf realizing like oh Thorfinn has some skills here but then when Thorfinn goes face to face with Canute and everyone finds out that Thorfinn's the one that left the scar on Canute's face. Like, you have Wolf in shock. You have Einar in shock. They're like, holy shit, you are, like, a bigger deal than we ever realized. And Thorfinn really didn't even need to do anything to show that. It's just just knowing that Thorfinn's the one that scarred the king's face was, like, a huge deal. But Thorfinn doesn't he doesn't give a fuck anymore. Like yeah. It, <laughs> it was all in his past life, and he's all about like, love and peace. <laughs> I loved Canute and Thorfinn's uh, dynamic in season one. Like, they're such opposite characters. Like, Canute was, like, wimpy, and Thorfinn was, like, pissed off all the time and didn't have time for Canute. I think a little part of Thorfinn remembers what Canute used to be like, right? And probably mm-hmm. thinks, like, I'll just steamroll over this guy because even though he seems like a, a, a tough guy now, I know he's, you know, he, I know who he was and probably still is. But Canute was was still cold to them. I did like that Canute let Anar yell at him because <laughs> Anar had some some choice words for him. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Canute was like stubborn and wouldn't change his mind. Um, I, I can sense that like deep down inside, Canute feels the same as Thorfinn, not wanting to do these things, not wanting to resort to violence. It's just not Canute's way. But Canute feels like he's already gone down this path and has to commit to it. He says he believes he has to save the Vikings and turn them against God. I wasn't sure what to make of that. I didn't know if you had any interpretation of it. I I felt like he was saying 
because he says like the whole thing about like watch me stop the waves because mm-hmm. everyone's saying like oh you're the king you have all the power to do xyz and he's like okay well then i'll stop the waves with that power but then he's basically saying i ultimately don't have power it's god that has power mm. you don't like things the way that they are now but that's how god made them so if you want to change it you have to go up against god that was my take on it so in order to save the vikings you have to go against God himself to change this environment, to change this mm, world. Okay. Now, of course, that's obviously not the case. You could just get everyone to stop being fucking violent. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I think it, it, so then it's kind of like Torfin helps Canute change this tune in the next episode by what he decides to do when Canute says, You'll have to stop me by killing my whole Viking army. Yeah. We'll, we'll chat a little bit more about that in the next episode. Speaking of which, in episode 23, Two Paths, seeing as he is stuck between a Ragnarok and a hard place, Sorfin Torfin decides to pull a move from the Book of Joseph Jostar by vowing to Nigerundayo until Canutecase's authority can no longer reach him. The monarch is so impressed by Torfin's quasi-comedy routine that he decides to keep his hands off Farmville, subsequently becoming an English king with some mad riz. Meanwhile, Torfin and Einaru form a pact to establish a real place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charm, leaving Farmville to rise from its ashes while setting sail with Leif Erikson Day to set their plan across the ocean in motion. What looked like a bleak outcome turned into a great reunion between Thorfinn and Canute, where, to your earlier point um, that we were just talking about, Canute is finally freed from like the haunting of his dead father and the pressures of wearing the crown. Obviously, not all of the pressures of wearing the crown, but he's freed from some of these things that were tying him down, thanks to Thorfinn. Like, thanks to the things that Thorfinn said to Canute, Canute was able to realize, like, he can be his own kind of king and can work towards his goal of creating a better world through less violent and aggressive means. And then you kind of get the narration after of like what Canute does after this moment. I did find it a little far-fetched to say one conversation with Thorfinn suddenly mm-hmm. changed the entire course of history <laughs> through Canute's actions. I was like, okay, hang on. That's kind of a lot. I mean, maybe that's actually what happened. I don't know. Again, I don't know the history, the actual history, but it felt like a stretch to say like Thorfinn's words were enough to completely change the direction that Canute was taking his kingdom. I'm quickly browsing Wikipedia, uh, their article about Canute. He was known as Canute the Great and considered the most effective king in Anglo-Saxon history. Well, there you go. I guess there is some truth to Canute being a monarch that, heralded great respect uh but yeah i i don't know if it was just one conversation with with torfin to cause all of that after i guess like towards the end of their conversation between canute and thorfinn uh canute asked thorfinn who he takes after and i think after years of following askeladd's lead thorfinn as i mentioned earlier has finally become the son that thor's hope to raise so canute seeing that i think he's looking at Thorfinn saying, this is not the Thorfinn that I would connect to Askeladd anymore. This is a very Mm -hmm. different individual. So like, who do you actually take after if not Askeladd? And the episode wraps up with that bittersweet moment, um, you know, with Thorfinn and Einar leaving the farm. It was a great place 
filled with great people, but it's also important for them to leave and build a peaceful world in Vinland so that, you know, people who, I think Thorfinn said, like, it's for people who find that death is the only, who feel like death is the only salvation. We're going to create a place that is the alternative. That way you don't feel like you need to be not of this world in order to be at peace. Right, because uh, Arnheide was the inspiration for all of that. Uh, I know there's an image of like a flock of seagulls frying, flying freely, frying, frying, <laughs> <laughs> frying in the sky, uh, flying freely in the sky, representing that that haven, that paradise on earth that Torfinn and Einar are working towards. Uh, beautiful imagery, although it reminded me of. Attack on Titan. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> the birds and freedom and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think there was another moment earlier in this season where, or I think in this court where Torfinn asks, like, if I cross the ocean, what am I going to find? That oh, sounds yeah. like that sounds like someone in Attack on Titan as well. <laughs> uh, but I'll say that that question is asked in a more positive way <laughs> with Vinland Saga uh, season two question i have is snake finally reveals his name to torfin and anar rolled <laughs> yeah did when did he like mention this he didn't that's the whole point he's only been known as snake they only have nicknames or i mean group. like was there any scene where he was like no i'm not going to tell you guys my name no like maybe it would have been part of that backstory episode that never happened but i think it's just a way of saying we've connected on a level like that we didn't have at first like we've become closer through these experiences and i think it's a a sign of respect from snake to anar and thorfinn because even though snake was never inherently rude to them he did still see them as slaves he still reminded them at times hey you're slaves you you can't go out and do whatever it is you want to do but here i think he's extending that olive brand she's showing that sign of respect by saying here's my real name one more thing with this episode that I noted is you have that montage at the end showing all the characters we've seen on Kato's farm, learning from what happened in the battle and with the, the conclusion and growing from that. And as you're seeing all of these characters doing their thing, the screen cuts to black every now and then and has these words like carve it, carve it into your flesh carve it onto the land, carve it into the sea, carve it into your spoils, carve it into your enemies, carve it, carve it, carve what you feel into me, carve that encounter into me. And I think this was also used at the very beginning of the season. Uh, Probably, yeah, like the first episode, this sort of poem is used in introducing Einar. And I think there was another part with um, Omar. Uh, so interesting that they they bring this poem almost like full circle at the end of the series, because uh, I end think end of the season, end of the end of the season. Thank you, um, and kind of embodying the experiences that these characters have taken, most especially Torfin, um, and what they learn from it, like learning how to grow from it. It's like they they sort of have to carve it into themselves, um, and sort of carry that as their new standard or as their new ideal, which is what I think Torfinn is doing 
in seeking to establish Vinland, that earthly paradise. And so I stumbled upon an article on FictionHorizon.com titled The Meaning Behind Vinland Saga's Carve It Poem Explained, which goes a little bit more in depth on the significance of this poem. Uh, I think it might be an original that was used in the manga, and so they adapted it here for the anime. Um, but I think it also just delves into more details about how this poem touches upon certain things that we see in the story and the impact that it has on these characters. And in the final episode for season two, episode 24, Home, Leif Erikson Day decides to make a pit stop at Sorfin Torfin's home village in Iceland. And as you'd expect from the country's name, he does not receive much of a warm welcome until Mama Tors recognizes her prodigal son. He gives his family an anime recap episode of his turbulent but triumphant life since his desertion and reiterates his plans to create an earthly paradise with his mother's blessing and with Leif's wallet. And thus, Torfin closes this chapter of the Farmland Saga to embark on his pursuit of a paradise where dreams come true. Call it Vinsneyland. What a great ending to the season. I didn't think that they would take it this far. I thought the season would end with like the last episode where they like depart the farm and then that's it. But yeah. we got a ton of closure. Yeah, although a part of this episode felt like a like an epilogue. Yeah. Because uh, I think, yeah, episode 23 would have been a great bookend for the season. But this was like almost a little bit extra, but... I love that, yeah, it, it does provide a little bit more closure seeing Torfin return to his home, which he's been, it's been like 16 years since he's been in Iceland. Uh, but seeing him reunite with his mother and how much of an emotional reunion that was, seeing him interact with Ilva, who didn't believe him to be her brother at first and getting so much comedy out of that. Uh, yeah, I think... For us as an audience, it was enriching to see those moments. You got to remember, his sister is also a child of Thor's. So I'm not surprised that mm -hmm. she's strong as fuck. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of closure. You, you, you have Thorfinn finally home and reunited with his family. You have Einar finally free and has a new group of people to call his own family because he lost his family. You have Leif Erikson fulfilling his promise to Thor's to bring Thorfinn home. That mm -hmm. was a major part of it. Um, but yeah, I think, as you mentioned, like the moment between Thorfinn and his mother with their, their reunion was like the best moment of this entire episode. You have Thorfinn like feeling rejected by his hometown, feeling utterly forgotten, um, feeling like nobody knows who he is, but the one person who without a doubt knows who he is, who doesn't even question who he is, is his mother when she recognizes him immediately. And on top of that, she says the one thing that Thorfinn has been waiting to hear for years. He's just like his father. Mm. I think she said it in terms of like looks because, you know, you have kind of that like image of Thor's behind Thorfinn and they have very similar facial features. And that's why she can recognize him. But to Thorfinn, I think it means so much more. Um, and I think that a lot of that is reinforced by his moment with Einar later in the episode where Einar tells Thorfinn 
or no, Thorfinn tells Einar about the slave from season one that mm-hmm. Thor saved. And then Einar responds by saying, oh, you must take after your father. So I think that was that was so powerful for Thorfinn because he's been so straight away from his father and his father's teachings and everything his father wanted for him you know, throughout his time with Askeladd in season one. And season two is about Thorfinn's journey to return back to his roots and to, I think, make Thor's proud. And you get an affirmation of that with Thorfinn seeing that vision of, I think it's himself as a young boy, and then having Thor's on his other side, the spirit of Thor's kind of looking proudly on his son and encouraging him to fulfill his vision of creating Vinland, of creating that paradise on Earth. So alongside getting a lot of closure from his family in this episode, I think Torfinn is also getting the reassurance that he is on the right path this time. And while there's a lot of great closure, there's also a new direction that Vinland Saga is going to head where Thorfinn and Einar say we want to build this paradise in Vinland and then Leif Erikson's like well you're gonna need help from me and I'm like let's fucking go Leif Erikson and Thorfinn are gonna team up in the next season let's hope for let's hope for it because that's all I want is more Leif Erikson and his interactions with Thorfinn because yeah we didn't get that reunion that we were hoping for um I do recall because you and I had watched this I think at some point in preparation for this episode we rewatched like the final moments of the season one finale Mm -hmm. where they show these images of like at the time it was random people but you get that shot of Einar on the boat and that was like his first kind of soft introduction I wonder which of the other characters may play a pivotal role in the next season because there was like there were two other characters that we saw one in I I remember one was like in a snowy mountain range Mm -hmm. and another that I think was like hiking or exploring. One of them was like a woman. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the other one. So I think it was in, in backwards order because the the final shot was that of Einaru on the boat. So I'm sure whatever image preceded that, I'm thinking it's the hiking character will be like the focus of the next season or the next arc. I think the ending of this episode, though, it it kind of felt abrupt. I mean, it ends with Torfinn finally cutting his goddamn hair, so he. Oh yeah, that's right. He almost looks like his his, uh, rebellious personality. He wanted to have the same haircut as Anar. That's what I thought. I was like, "You have the same haircut now as Anar." But yeah, you have like a quick flashback of all these characters, and then it ends on Torfinn's face, and then it, it. goes to the credits uh it it just caught me off guard for a bit um almost like oh i I thought for some reason oh there's gonna be a there's another episode after this but there isn't (laughs) Um, but still a great episode overall and that brings us to our final thoughts for vinland saga season two so how many new leafses on life out of 10 would you give this season This is easily a 10 out of 10 for me. No doubt about it. Absolutely phenomenal. I don't think everyone who watches Vinland Saga season two is going to agree that it's a 10 out of 10. I've said before, very divisive season because it's drastically different from season one. So if you enjoyed season one and the violent direction that one, you might not like season two. But I 
loved it. I haven't watched something this good and this well-written since maybe like Attack on Titan final season. Although AOT is always going to be the best of the best, the writing in this story, the writing in Villain Saga season two is, I think, almost at the level of Attack on Titan. Like, I, I think it was just that good. Um, it was just that powerful. And I said it before, I'll say it again, manga readers were right farming is hype as fuck like that <laughs> that's pretty impressive to make farming like one of the best things to come out of anime in in recent time there was also a lot of not doubt but like we were nervous right when the story switched hands or the ip switched hands from what studio to mappa who knows how that can play out but i think mappa did a phenomenal job with continuing the story and adapting it in that mappa way um, and I think that, uh, yeah, they just did, they did a great job. Like it was all around beautiful, amazing. And the, the care and attention to detail that went into creating this season makes me so excited for what MAPPA can do with the future of Vinland Saga. Not to say that Wit Studio didn't do an amazing job. Season one was still absolutely incredible, but MAPPA I think was the right choice for, um, the, the different tone and the direction that season two was headed. But yeah, I mean, I've said all that I could say about Villain Saga season two. I love it so much. Definitely contender for one of the best anime of the year. I know it's early days. We still have like more than half the year to go, but it's going to take a lot to top what I've seen in this season. So yeah, 10 out of 10. What would you give it? I too would give this season a 10 out of 10. This season of Vinland Saga has been a far cry from everything that we saw in season one, but I think it feels deserved in how it has dramatically portrayed the fall and rise of a complex character like Thorfinn, who has found a new and righteous calling in the midst of a cruel and unforgiving world. Because Thorfinn is turning over a new leaf. Hey. <laughs> and the second core does well in establishing that Thorfinn is a man of his word and not giving in to the temptations of violence that are thrown at him in the battle for Kettle Farm. Even if the message of a promised land starts ringing like an echo chamber in every other episode. But this, coupled with Canute's change of heart, Arnheid's tragic death, and other similar character moments show how the worldview of Vikings is beginning to flip on its head, all thanks to the resolve of a person who used to coldly embody that vengeful worldview without question. So in that vein, Vinland Saga Season 2 has been an unexpectedly tranquil work of art that is not afraid to challenge expectations of gratuitous violence with its Viking source material, but rather using it as a tool to show the audience that even the worst of humanity can learn from its mistakes to realign itself on a path to be better and to do better, a journey that results in developing the true warriors of the human race. And I think that is such a beautiful message to take away from an anime that sets itself so far apart from the rest this year. And while I think nothing may top the enriching narrative of Farmland Saga, I am all the more excited to see Thorfinn in the coming season as he sets out to create his earthly haven of Vinland in the face of overwhelming odds. Because who doesn't love an underdog story? 
where do we go from here? What do we do now? As of this recording, there's no confirmation about a season three of Vinland Saga. Like, we just have to sit here and wait until Mappa tells us that there for sure is going to be more to the story. We will pick up that Torfin Figma and <laughs> just admire <laughs> it until a season three release is announced. I also am like, where do I go from here? Like, what what other anime could top this this year? I mean, there's, there's plenty of amazing anime out there mm-hmm. to watch. I'm very excited for what's to come the rest of 2023. But this is a fantastic start to the year in terms of, like, phenomenal show. Yeah, I think nothing close will come to how this series made us feel i mean i I can see maybe demon slayer that that could that could potentially have similar effect on us but or like the end of attack on titan uh, right (laughs) i guess we do have that to look forward to (laughs) uh but no i'm just i'm just glad that again vinland saga came back and treated us so well in ways that we didn't expect yeah. Oh my God. It was so fucking good. It was like the best thing. It was like my number one thing that we've been watching last season and this season, like just itching every week to watch it. And hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, if you did, or even if you didn't reach out and let us know, cause we want to hear what you guys think about season two. Cause as I've said many times, it is very divisive. So some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it and we want to hear all about it. But as always, Thank you guys so, so much for listening and supporting us and everything that we do here. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us and to tell us what you think about Vinland Saga Season 2. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash Series and tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.